Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of DFV. I am Black Cinephile. I am AKA Brad. That's AKA Brad. Um, I like this one today, man. We're doing a. We're paying homage to the uh, the lady J Lo, and we're looking at two good uh, J Lo thrillers today. Yes. Well, one is more of a, I guess, more of a crime, sleek drama than a thriller. But you know, um, both films that uh, J Lo plays uh, um, a, gives a lead performance in that she uh, pretty much nails, and like. I think one of these are kind of like more underrated than than celebrated when it comes to her uh, criteria of her filmography. As far as like on the critical side, I mean. Yeah, I was looking up some of the reviews for these and one of them kind of surprised me how uh, low the scores are generally for it from a critic standpoint. Mm-hmm. So I agree. It, it was kind of surprising to me, uh, but, you know. Yeah, to Jennifer Lawrence, or not Jennifer Lawrence, got <laughs> Jennifer job, Lopez. Right? One job. <laughs> one job. Yeah. Yep, two, two Jennifer Lopez films today, man. We got we got Steven Sodenberg's Out of Sight, and we got Enough, directed by Michael Apted. Yes, which, one of which, she's kind of a secondary player in the movie, not so much the lead of the movie. She gets top billing. She she gets top billing. Yes. You know, she she shares top billing with another actor. But um quick question. You've seen any of these before? I have not. This was the first time watching both of these movies. Wow. Really? This is my first time seeing it out of sight, but um, you know, enough is one of my favorite movies. Uh all right, man. With that being said, let's get into it. Which uh which one you want to do first? Uh so I was kind of looking at these two and thinking maybe chronologically. You know I'm not a chronological man, dude. Why you got to do this to me? It, just for this episode. Just for the culture. All right, all right. For this episode, we'll do chronological. You want to take over uh, Out of Sight? Sure. So Out of Sight follows the story of a bank robber who has been sent to prison uh, named, I'm trying to remember his name right now, Jack. Yeah, one job. Yeah, one job. I have one job. Foley. Uh, Foley. It's an easy name. <laughs> yes. So Foley is a bank robber that is sent to prison. In prison, he meets other people that have information on a jewel or a diamond collector who they are going to rob. In prison, he meets other people, one of which is a guy named Snoop, who is also going for the same heist at the same time, who ends up teaming up with him. Meanwhile, we have uh, Jennifer Lopez's character, who is a CIA agent trying to figure out uh, how to stop the... what She was originally there at the prison for what was it? I think she was serving a summons or something. Yeah. Uh, something like, no, not serving a summons, but I think she was, it was routine work as to why she was there. Right. Which got her entangled up when she was kidnapped by them when they were breaking out of prison. And she got entangled into the entire thing as she kind of fell for Foley in a way during this entire event. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, so, you know, basically, long story short, uh, Foley falls for uh, Cisco. He knows it's bad. His main boy, Buddy, played by Ving Rhames, I, I love him in this movie, even tells mm. him, dude, what are you doing? We just broke out of prison and you're trying to, like, get together with the, uh, a U.S. Marshal. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. Um, so... I'd say a little bit of this movie is a little far-fetched, but that's kind of the fun of it. This guy, he, he he's head over heels for this woman. And her, on the other hand, she's trying hard to, to deny the fact that she's head over heels for him. It's forbidden uh, love. Yeah, pretty much. It's forbidden love. It's, uh, it's love that should not be. And um, it, it makes for great, great chemistry between George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez. Like, you know, from the the first scene of them together in the trunk and, you know, they're talking about movies and like, 
you know, the dialogue is so funny, but, you know, so charming at the same time. You know, it it, it plays very well. If you didn't have two leads in this film that had chemistry, this film would not work. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, this definitely is held together by the fact that they work so well with each other. And even the scenes where they're apart from each other and everything, they still work well with it. Uh, like you said, even Buddy kind of acting as that comedic relief for like all the heists and everything like that when they're talking about everything, where he mm-hmm. has like his faith and everything, where he's like, I'm praying for you, you know. Uh, I got to get back to my kids and everything like that. So we're not going too hard. We got to just be in and out. That's it. Yeah. And then there's a thing where um, he said, uh, he says, uh, hey, you talk to your sister? He said, yeah, she's praying for me. Yeah. Every time his sister is mentioned, he, he always says, my sister's praying for me. Yeah, it's definitely, I, I love the relationship that uh, they have with each other, Foley and Buddy, because you can see that they care for each other and everything like that, because uh, yeah. Foley breaks out of prison and everything, and Buddy's the one there to pick him up. So once the two are together and everything, it's it's really a great kind of, I don't want to say criminal Buddy movie, but it is a criminal Buddy-Buddy movie between those two as well as the love story between uh, Cisco and Foley. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know what? I was going to say something. I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, you know, this is directed by our boy, Steven Sodenberg. Yeah, we've uh, we've been hitting up a lot of his movies lately. Yeah, we have. We, we, we did Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And what was another one we did? Oh man, um, so for Sodenberg, he has so many. Well, what I was gonna say in regards to this movie was, uh, you know, one of the things you gotta love about Sodenberg is that he's so unconventional. He's such an unconventional director that every film he attacked, he he uh, approaches, he just has to do something new with it. Mm-hmm. Like the thing I like about this movie is that, you know, it's such a mainstream film, like George Clooney. J-Lo, sexy crime thriller. You know, he approaches this, but he approaches it in a Sodenberg way. Like, there's, like, unconventional edits and cuts, and, you know, the the story still flows naturally, even though it's told in an unconventional way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's... Basically, we're continually cutting back between what's going on with Cisco and trying to get on the case so she can figure out what's going on and trying to find clues as to what uh, Foley's up to. And then you have Foley in the background meeting up with people he's met in prison, getting the details on the heist, getting everything planned out, uh, working with Buddy to kind of just calm him down so they can go through with everything. So, yeah, we have two stories that basically continually intersect. Uh, One of the main points being when uh, I think they were at a bar in a hotel. Is that where they first met outside of? uh... Yes, yes, yes. A bar in a hotel. Yeah. Which I love how the scene starts with uh, some random guys uh, hitting on uh, Cisco and just being like, oh, yeah, I bet I can uh, pick her up and everything. And, you know, the one comes in with a story of, I bet you're like a new intern at a sales firm that, you know, just got that big new account, but everybody doesn't believe that you can do it. And she uses that story when Foley comes in is, you know, what are you doing in town? (laughs) I like that, but I also like how somewhere in the conversation, Foley is like, "All right, how long you want to keep this up? Like, like, come on, these these characters we just made up, they they're boring. It's best if we just like go with the truth. Like, I am who I am, and you are who you are. And another thing is, I like how it cuts from this conversation to them eventually meeting up at a hotel and you know, you know, having sex. But I just love the cuts. I love the close ups on the hands touching. Like this is a this is a great romantic crime movie. It but. is. It definitely has like a good heart to it and everything, uh, which especially comes up during the climax of the movie. Uh, I don't know if you want to jump to that quite yet, or if you, you want. To- well, 
we can jump all over where, wherever you want to touch on. Yeah. Well, one of the things with the climax of the movie, after they've, you know, gone to the house with the uncut diamonds, they're going to rob it and everything like that. Uh, it comes to a point where Cisco gets there and has to pull the arrest on Foley. And I love how the scene plays out because you have the other people that were there to pull off the heist. Uh, they've all been killed at this point. Uh, one of the best one, the guy literally just falls on his gun and shoots himself. <laughs> I thought that I thought that was such a great Coen Brothers moment. Oh yeah, like like and the guy's already an idiot, so mm. it's like you don't you can't look at that like oh that was out of nowhere. It was like well yeah, that's it's, expected of white boy. That's expected of him, right? <laughs> yeah, I love that. Prior to that, he was like told go look after Foley, and then uh, he like gets distracted by the kitchen, and he just shows back up, and Snoop's like, so what? Where's Foley? What what are you doing? Oh, I forgot about that, but uh, I got some uh, new stuff in the truck. What'd you get? Steaks. <laughs> yeah, he was an idiot. He was an idiot. But the best lovable idiot out of this whole cast is uh, Steve Zahn's Glenn. I loved Glenn so much. It has the kind of lovable screw up. <laughs> yes, right. absolutely. Uh, even the conversation that uh, he has with Cisco in the car and everything like that as they're like driving away. <laughs> mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I absolutely loved him as a character as well. But I wanted to say uh, there were some heavy hitters in this cast, man. Um, they had, we had like a young Viola Davis in here. She had like a nice cameo. Uh, Isaiah Washington. We had uh, Nancy Allen. I know her from like a few Brian De Palma films. But uh, I wanted to say, man, looking at this film reminded me so much of why I love Michael Keaton. Like, even though he has a small scene, he is great in that scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, you, you know, you even forget uh, Samuel Jackson makes an appearance in the last, like, 30 seconds of the movie because That's he the, has to be in everything. He does. Like, my, my wife had came in around that time and she was like, uh, oh, who was he in this movie? I'm like, I didn't expect him. He just yeah. showed up. <laughs> he just shows up in the back right. of a cop car. Or no, in the back of, like, the secured cop car. He just shows right. up and he's like, who are you? Yeah, I, I just broke out of prison and they caught me again. How many times are you breaking out? 27 times. <laughs> and then cut nine. to credits. <laughs> right, right, right. I think he said nine. Oh, did it he say? Nine okay. time. Yeah, but um, I was going to say, you know, have you seen Jackie Brown? Uh, I have not. Okay, it's a Tarantino movie. Um, this, this movie is based off an Elmer Leonard book. Uh, you know, if he, he wrote the book for like Get Shorty, Be Cool and all of them. And like he also wrote the book for Jackie Brown. And Michael Keaton's character is the same character from Jackie Brown. So like if you know the story behind that, this movie's made by Universal. Mm -hmm. Merrimax made Jackie Brown. Tarantino told Merrimax, look, they want Michael Keaton in the film to play that character from Elma Lenard's novels. Just let him do it. Don't don't charge Universal for it. So basically, Tarantino, like, I guess the story is he stepped in and made sure Miramax didn't charge Universal an extra fee to, to use that character because that character was really licensed with uh, Miramax Jackie Brown. Okay. So, so I thought that was a nice cinema connection. So he's literally Cinematic. playing the same character from another movie. Yeah, yeah. He's more nuanced than Jackie Brown. In this film, he's kind of a, uh, he's, he's kind of a dummy because he doesn't really catch on that her father is uh, messing with them and, and, and like really calling them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but he has more nuance in, uh, in Jackie Brown. He's kind of a better cop in that movie. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, yeah there, there's, there's some great cameos in this movie. That's one that I didn't realize that there was like a little bit more meat to it. Yeah, I, um, I gotta say, from the, from the opening scene of the film, like... It takes a certain kind of star with charisma to to sell you on liking somebody that's a robber or anything like that. You know what I mean? Like you could get Johnny Depp playing John Dillinger, and you know John Dillinger was Public Enemy number one, so he was kind of like a a figure that a lot of people like said, "Oh yeah, he's you know he's a badass." But I like how Jack Foley, you know George Clooney, just brings the charisma like from from scene one in the bank where he's talking with the cashier. 
he's like, hey, how's it going? Um, you know, you, you see that guy over there with the open suitcase? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's sitting in front of some um, important guy that works at our bank. Okay, well, uh, you're going to give me the money out of that cash register. And if you don't, that guy who has the open suitcase is going to shoot the important guy between the eyes. Now, don't panic. You know, I don't want that to happen. But, uh, yeah, you, could, you just give me the, some of the bills right there. You'll be just fine. And he's giving the charming George Clooney smile the whole time. Well, not really that. Then he's pretty much going, also, he's going to wait until I leave before to make sure that you don't ring that police bell. So by the time that he leaves, we're golden. <laughs> so if you can keep up with that. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I love his charisma. And also, like, after he gets out of prison, the first thing he does is literally grab uh, Jennifer Lopez's character and throw her into the trunk of a car and then jump into the trunk of the car with her. Well, that made sense because they were Buddy came to a checkpoint and he knew that Buddy was going to get searched by cops, that they were going to overlook the vehicle. Because, like, when, when you notice when they're in the car, mm-hmm. the car stops and you hear a cop say, all right, carry on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It makes sense. But at the same time, literally, you know, he's grabs a girl that's and throws her right in the trunk of the car as soon as he gets out of prison. Like, not exactly a likable character trait that, you know, he's going up against an uphill battle here (laughs) with his actions. Well, I don't think it makes him unlikable, but I would say it makes him like uh, like you just keep making mistakes, don't you, pal? Yeah, but um, I like how when he's talking to his friend on the phone, and he tells her in code, like, "Hey, we're, we're breaking out six thirty tonight." She's like, "Okay, uh, who's gonna be the getaway driver?" What do you mean, me? Well, we know what happened last time you got in the car because <laughs> <laughs> the car didn't start when he was trying to escape the bank. Oh, I was yeah. like, I, I, "You gotta love the dialogue in this, man." Like Scott Frank did a good job. Um, yeah, man, dude, Don Cheeto, bro, like. There's, there's not any role that this man can't do. I'm, I'm convinced. I, I completely forgot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's just a versatile actor, and I love him in this, dude. Because even though he's the villain, he's still Don Cheeto, so he still has that charisma that you just you can't look away from. Yeah, he definitely... And he comes off as pretty menacing, too, in scenes. Like, you have Foley, yeah. who is very cocky and pretty much thinks he's always like three steps ahead of everybody going up against him. And, but that doesn't mean that he's not a formidable kind of person, uh, mm-hmm. especially when they're in, what was it? The boxing uh, training area. Yeah. 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 Um, where, you know, you're basically, he's surrounded by his men and everything and fully still keeping his cool in, you know, Hey, what, what are we doing? Want to go outside? We can go outside. We can talk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, that one scene, like this film does get very dark in some places, but the thing is it doesn't leave. The tonal balance, the tonal shift isn't enough to take the film off of its axis. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you got the scene where they're in the car and Cisco and um, Maurice is saying to Glenn, like, hey, man, listen, uh, this isn't your plan anymore. It's my plan. It's not your jewels now. It's my jewels. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to go over and, you know, we're going to find this person I know off the street. We're going to uh, ax them and then we're going to go and do this heist. And uh, I love how the scene is shot because you don't really know what's going on until you go to the crime scene afterwards when J-Lo catches up with everybody else. But, like, you just see, like, a hatchet coming down, Don Cheeto spraying red paint on the wall. And I'm like, well, what's going on here? And then you see the crime scene later. It's like, oh, man, they really jacked those people up. Yeah, it's there are a couple scenes that kind of take you out of the movie and go, Oh yeah, these are bad people. That's right. These these aren't mm. you know lovable thugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- these are criminals. Scene, <laughs> then there's a scene towards the end, which um, I guess you could see it's going to that point, but it, it does feel a little out of left field. But it 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 it, it makes sense where Clooney is talking to Ving Rhames, and he's like, "All right, man, you go on without me, man. Like uh, I'll catch up." It's like you can't, I can't let you go back in there by yourself. 
He's like, man, they're gonna rape that girl and kill home and kill what's his face. Like, I can't let that happen. And oh yeah, like, his maid. Right, right. Well, no, I is it his maid? I thought it was uh, just his uh, his mistress. No, I thought it was a maid. Was Maybe not. Maid? I thought she worked with him, didn't she? I don't know. Maybe it might yeah. be his maid. Um, but yeah, you know, like I like how he. Uh, there's a moral. There, there's a moral morality to his character that makes you like him all over again mm-hmm. uh, in that moment as he goes in to kind of save the day, so to speak. And just before the moment where um, Cisco decides to, you know, shoot him in the leg in the, sh- in the showdown, you see him empty out the bullets in the bedroom right before he goes out and says, uh, listen, I'm not going back to prison. And she's like, you know, put the gun down. You know, um, I, I like that because it's subtle moments like that that show his character. Right. Like even in the heart of this moment, it, the gun was a bluff. It mm-hmm. was only there to try and make her, you know, a little bit scared to do anything so he could leave. Uh, because he had, you know, everybody else in the house is dead at this point for the heist. So it, he's the fall guy for everything that happened. And the diamonds are gone because Buddy has them and has driven off with them. So I also love the reveal with uh at the beginning of the movie when they're first like in the prison talking or no like the the flashback sequence when they're in prison talking about uh the uncut uh diamonds and foley's like have you ever seen uncut diamonds they basically just look like rocks and Mm, when they're in the house like looking around for it he like immediately tunes into the fish tank and realizes that they're being hidden as pebbles in the fish tank it's like, that's oh, great that's, that's great. I absolutely love that little twist to that. But that's even e- even off that. Like, that's genius. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a genius place to hide diamonds. Right. Because nobody is going to look inside of a fish tank. Even if you looked in the fish tank, it looks like normal rocks. You wouldn't be able right. to discern the regular pebbles from the diamonds. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this film was interesting because Steven Sodenberg... Um, the producer on this film, I forgot which producer it was, but uh, there was a producer that told him he offered the film to him. Last name Silver, but it wasn't Joel. It wasn't Joel Silver, who's known for The Matrix. It was another Silver, Casey Silver. Mm-hmm. He offered him out of sight with George Clooney in the lead. And Sodenberg was like, I'm not really a mainstream guy, though. And the guy was telling him, like, look, man, not many offers like this are going to come come along to you. Like, you know, you're known as the independent guy. To have mainstream clout, though, you should do a film like this. So he convinced him to do the film, and he uh, he is he he looks at it as a great moment in his career because it gave him leverage to do the kind of more more high high priced independent films he wanted to do. Right. You know. Yeah, he yeah, was I, able to prove himself to be able to get the creative freedom. Yeah, like that's what I love about this. This is a guy who takes a um. A mainstream idea, a mainstream picture, still puts his own creative visual stamp on it and doesn't sacrifice his integrity. You know, yeah, that's why uh, I got I got a lot I got a lot of love and respect for Steve. But um, when it all comes down to it, man, I get us a I get us a four point five. Uh, I definitely give this a four. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it it holds up. It's it's a very good kind of crime thriller movie. Uh, it's got a lot of fun scenes, great characters. It's a good movie. I just can't believe it took me this long to see it because this is such a classic movie. See, this is one that I know that I've run across before. Uh, but yeah, it's it's weird that I haven't actually sat down and watched it up until this point. Because mm-hmm. I know yeah. that before I was doing a binge on a bunch of like top-rated George Clooney movies and... I know this one came up on the list, but I just kind of skipped over it for some reason. Mm. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to move on? I am ready to move on. All right, man. I'll try to, I'll try to hide my giddiness. (laughs) Uh, Next on this list, man, we got enough directed by Michael Apted. So this movie, um, pretty, pretty simple film. Uh, So Jennifer Lopez stars as slim. Uh, She's an, uh, an ex waitress, 
who um, after marrying, uh, who would be the man of her dreams, uh, she starts to realize that her man is cheating on her. And on top of that, domestic violence happens. He, he becomes a very controlling, abusive husband and she has to get away. So for the book, I love how this film like like covers everything in the prelude, like in, in the opening 10 minutes, like everything from meet cute, marriage, uh, settling the uh, kids, settling the marriage, downfall. Um, from that point on, most of the film is about her and her daughter escaping um, her abusive husband. And this guy has connections. He has connections to cops. He has connections to FBI agents. He's a very dangerous man. And it basically comes down to throughout the film, at what point do you stop running and fight back? Well, you know what I mean? In the movie, she basically hits a wall that she can either show up and right. get caught or she can not show up and basically becomes a criminal. So yeah. he uses his resources to basically throttle her down to no longer having the option to run. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Let me tell you something, man. Uh, I haven't seen Hustlers yet. I know a lot of people like like praise that as uh, J-Lo performance-wise, but to me, man, this might be to me Jennifer Lopez's best performance since Selena. Okay. I mean, like, like she is so great in this film. Like, I saw this in theaters with my grandma when it came out, and it's one of my favorite movies. But what I like about this film is her portrayal is so authentic of a woman that, you know, is, like, mentally, emotionally broken down and has to, like, retrain her mind, retrain her body to fight back. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really believe she really gives her all into this film, in my my personal opinion. That's why it's such an underrated film. The critics panned it, but I it really has been an underrated film over the years. Um, but I got to ask you, like, before I get into certain moments I like, like, you as a first-time watcher, what, what did you think? So, the... What I like about this movie is that it kind of has that thrill of he has all these connections. Uh, Mitch has all these connections with the police, the FBI. Uh, he has the connections basically to wiretap and find her wherever she is. Anytime she uses a payphone, they can detect her voice. Uh, anytime that she sits in a city for too long, he has people in like the local police and pretty much every town you know, working with him to find her. And it just basically, they wait for her to slip up somewhere. It, it adds this level of tension of where is she going to mess up? When is it going to come out that, you know, he finds her? Because she's running from him. And it, it definitely, I, I absolutely love that. Mm -hmm. You know, because when it comes to creating tension, it, some movies don't know how to do it right. Right. Here, it's done perfectly because you know it can happen at any point in time. And it makes even some of the simple scenes, like her dropping her daughter off at school, make you go, okay, is this where something's going to happen? Like, wh where is it going to happen? And it brings in that same tension that she feels where she goes everywhere, that she has to change her name, change her identity to try and hide from her ex-husband. Let me just say, man, Billy Campbell... Dude, he's just pitch perfect as the controlling, abusive husband, man. Like he he was pitch perfect in that role. Like he he plays a guy that when you first meet him, even when like the well, we learn later on in the movie that it was a setup, but even when we learn, even when we see him later on kind of intimidate the guy that's trying to hit on the waitress, uh, that's trying to hit on um Slim uh, mm -hmm. because of a bet. He has a little bit of menace in his eyes. And we're like, you know what? Maybe he's just a guy that's being a gentleman. You know what I'm saying? Maybe he's just looking out for the lady. And, you know, later on, after they get married, he talks to the guy that owns the house. He goes, uh, hey, uh, my wife likes your house. I want to buy it from you. Way above market price. Guy hmm. looks at him and goes, dude, are you out of your mind? Yeah. He house goes, isn't for sale. <laughs> right. He goes, well, yes, I'm very much out of my mind. Now, imagine if someone out of your mind, you don't give them what they want, and they uh, make your everyday uh, a, a natural living hell. And he says it with a smile on his face. And I'm like, dude, this guy is perfect in this role. 
Oh, yeah. As, like, the two-faced kind of maniacal person that mm-hmm. Mitch is in this movie, uh, I, I love how, you know, when Slim first finds out that, you know, she he's been sleeping with another woman and cheating on her and everything like that, uh, she kind of goes through this phase of, it can't be true, but going through and going, but it has to be, like here's all the evidence and everything and then confronting him and he just lies right through it and just i i've only met her once i don't know anything else and you know it, it's and then i think that's when he first hits her too or oh, that no, no, we no, see no. it he doesn't he doesn't deny it he um he he admits to it but it's a little later in the marriage after he just keeps doing it oh yeah and uh, this is before he hits her uh, she goes, uh, you know what? How how many are there? And he goes, does it matter? And you could just see the look of heartbreak on her face. Like he was like, he's like, does she's like, does it matter? And um, you know, then that's when he hits her. Uh the thing that dude, the thing that's so like a little unsettling about that scene is it it goes from a slap, then it goes to a punch. Mm-hmm. Like he punches her, and I'm like, wow. And then he go, and, you know, you, you can see that dominating presence over her when he crouches down. He goes, "What? What? What? You, you want to fight me?" Like, you know, he says, "I'm a, I'm a man, sweetie. It's, it's, it's the natural order of things." And I'm like, "Wow, this guy is is horrifying. He's horrible." Um, and I like how you see the reverse of that later on when she basically just kicks the shit out of him. Oh yeah, she absolutely takes him down. Uh, yeah. I love like kind of going to that scene, the prep work that she does for it, because she go, mm-hmm. you see the training montage of her like learning everything. And then you see her in the house, like putting it together, you know, how many steps to get here, how many steps to get here, uh, looking for his weapons that he has hidden around the house, using the metal detector, the cell phone jammer, like using everything at her disposal to get the upper hand in this situation and yeah. make sure that he can't, weasel his way out of the situation uh knowing full well one of them's dying that night i think that's why this film is such a classic because it has such a great payoff like the like the payoff delivers when it comes down to that final fight Mm -hmm. oh for sure yeah um yeah man i I, it's like i agree with you man the tension hits so well in this film like through each of the beats as we go along like um I like how when uh, she goes to hang out with uh, her, uh, she goes to hide with her ex-boyfriend in uh, Seattle. They, they go to like crash at his place for a while. And when the um, the FBI guys show up, this scene wasn't, it, I don't think it was meant to make me laugh, but there was a scene where the FBI agent had a knife to the ex-boyfriend's throat. And he's like, he says, he says look, man, I don't, I, don't, I don't want no trouble. Just leave. And then this boy is like, hey, man, let's just go. He says, but, but let me just cut him a little. He says, no. Not today. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what, what has he done other days? And why not today? What what makes today so special that he doesn't get to murder one of the people, you know, that they're uh, hassling? Right, right. Um, what do you think about the daughter, man? I thought she had great chemistry with the daughter. She had good chemistry with the daughter. Uh, the daughter, to me, fell into, like, the children actors where you have 10% of them are good about 20% of them are fine and then you have 70% of them that are just they don't have the acting chops yet mm. that they don't know how to put in the emotion behind scenes they're basically just reading the script you know it's basically the robotic you know but mom why can't I talk to dad Right, right. You got to have the right kind of actor for that, man. Right. And sadly, I don't think that she was old enough to put that emotion into the scenes that were required for a thriller movie like this. Mm. So the chemistry was there between her daughter and her. You could see that and everything. Even between Mitch and his daughter, you could see the chemistry there where she wanted to be with him and he was fighting for her and everything like that. Because his entire goal had nothing to do with Slim. He just wanted his daughter back. Okay. Okay. And that, yeah, that was I mean, good. I mean, it is. It is. Um, 
it is hard to find a good child actor. I think one of the best child actors I ever saw was a. Uh, you remember Looper? Oh yeah, the Ryan Johnson film. That that film dude, was that, amazing. Dude, that child actor was great, man. Oh yeah, that I agree with. That was one of those times. Like the kid from E.T. is like one of those you know perfect yep. child actors. Henry Thomas. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, there are that 10%. And sadly, this movie falls into like the norm of like child actors where it's like, okay, that you, you couldn't do a second read or was that like the fifth read and they just went with it? You know, because they also have a time limit that they can use the kid on set and everything too. So yeah, you can't yeah, have so, so many <laughs> line reads for a scene, especially a long scene. Yeah, it's child labor laws. You can't be like, all right, all right, Casey, I need you to get this to me here. All right, yeah. I need you to deliver this line. Then you got the tutor coming up, like, "Hey, let's just let's just be a little be a little nicer." You know, she's a kid, and you know, it's like I'm making a movie. Yeah. I got like twenty million dollars on the line. <laughs> I have my vision on paper, and she needs to bring it to life. Damn it! <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, another thing I like in this movie is the relationship with her and her father. Uh, Jupiter. Yes, because uh, she had never formally met him before. Right, yeah. And I like how um, he has a change of heart later in the movie and actually sends her some money. But uh, I love the dialogue uh, where she comes to see him. Uh, it, uh, and and <laughs> one lady is like, hey, there's a lady here says she's your daughter. I haven't had sex since 1996. Uh, oh yeah, because anyway. she's he's looking at uh, Slim's daughter. <laughs> right, right, right. And then, uh, and then she comes up like, "Nah, it's me." And he goes, "Oh." And he does like a hard swallow. He's like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, what, what do you want?" <laughs> yeah, that one lines up a little bit more. <laughs> right, right. But um, yeah, man, I feel like Jennifer Lopez just nailed this movie, dude. She had charisma. She had a strong performance. Uh, this was one of those ones that, uh, dude, I think she got a rat. I think she was nominated for a Razzie for this, but I was like, really? Y'all thought she was that bad? Did you really get nominated for a Razzie for this one? Yeah, that's crazy to me. Cause I look at this film today and I'm like, this isn't a Razzie performance to me. Yeah. I didn't think it was that bad of a movie that it would get a Razzie for any aspect of it. The directing, the you know, writing the performances or anything like that. The only, the only uh, excuse I can make in my mind is that maybe this was at the height of like J Lo and Ben, and they thought, oh, you know, she's a, she's a pop star. She's not a serious actress. You know, we, who's gonna take this film seriously? That's the only thing in my mind that makes sense. Yeah, I can't think of anything for why this movie. Because what's this sitting at on Rotten Tomatoes? If I recall correctly, it's 22%, I think. Yeah, 22%. Uh, IMDb is a 5.7. Like, how on this movie? That's crazy. Uh, I don't know, man. People just don't like this movie, dude. Uh, But it is what it is. Uh, If you ask me, I give this movie. And this this is just because it's just straight personal um, favoritism. I give this movie a 5. Really? Okay. I really love this movie. I think it just it flows like jazz. Um, it flows like, like like high speed jazz. I just it hits each of the beats right, and it it doesn't have one boring moment in it to me. See, this one I think is a three point five to me. You mm. know, it's it's a good movie. You know, it's above average, but that's about where it stands. Um, it's a good thriller. It does that very well and everything. But beyond that, the dialogue and everything in this movie is just, it's cliche, even for the time that it came out to me. Really? I think so, yeah. It, that's my opinion on it. It is, okay. you know, the dialogue is very cliche. Uh, I think the th- things that this movie gets right are the tension between everything and the inevitable threat of Mitch 
and how he comes off as like such a great villain for her to go up against, especially like later in the movie when we see him like with another woman and then he's even cheating on her with another woman on top of that. Like he's got multiple affairs going and everything. Like he is a downright terrible person. And that last kind of fight scene, the choreography on it is great. Oh yeah, definitely. But Uh, beyond that, it's, it's a standard movie to me. I don't get the hate for it. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's a bad movie. You know, that so many people, I don't get that at all. Yeah, I don't get it either. I, I think it's a great film. But, um, okay, I hear what you're saying. So I guess on this one, you lean more towards Out of Sight winning out. Yes, for this uh, double feature versus, I think Out of Sight definitely has a more cohesive story, better characters, you know, it it has more to it. Okay. I can see how objectively Out of Sight is the better movie. Uh, this is just straight favoritism for me. <laughs> I I, le- I just lean towards enough because I it's just one of my favorites. I've just seen it so many times. Oh, yeah. See, I can understand that. It's, you know, it's not a bad movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very good. Um, all right, man. It looks like I might I might be back. The wife, he's talking about going to see the Woman King tonight. Oh, so yeah. you can't see Clerks, but you can go see that. <laughs> well, you know, I might sneak that in as a double feature. Oh, there yeah, we, <laughs> we we go see the Woman King. No, actually, we go to Clerks three first, and she goes, "Where's Viola Davis? What, what movie is this?" Oh, you know, this this is the movie they play before the the Woman yeah. King movie. <laughs> no, this do is a trailer. Do Don't worry about it. <laughs> Right. This this is a this is a this is an hour and thirty minute trailer. Right. It's like 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 sneakering to go see that. Then we wait through the credits and the AMC cleanup people, and then we go. Okay, Woman King is starting now. Yeah, it's got to be start. Let's go up to the front counter and ask them when the movie's gonna start. Right. Right. <laughs> um, I might still catch Clerks three. I mean, um, after we'll see we'll see how she is after this film, and you know if she's all right, then you know. I'll, I'll, I'll catch it. I mean, I'll catch it eventually. Oh, yeah. It's it, it'll hit streaming at some point, like everything else that Kevin Smith's done. So, Yep, yep. Uh, you going to see Pearl? Have you seen X? I have not. Oh, okay. So, yeah. You I, know what Pearl is, right? I, I saw the trailer for it and everything, and it just, it didn't capture me. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think it's a prequel to uh to X. So I think that's why it's kind of a big deal right now. Um, you know, some people say they like it. You know, they say it's a nice uh they say it's a nice uh funny like a uh, slasher movie. Um, well, not funny, but they say it's a nice slasher film. Um, and they say it's a nice prequel to uh X, which I still haven't seen yet. But yeah, I want to see The Woman King, dude. I, and I, frankly, I still want to see Don't Worry, Darling. I, I, I oh, I still want to see that movie. Regardless of the drama around it, which yeah. is extremely stupid drama. It's very, very stupid drama that is going on around that movie. But the movie still looks pretty good. It looks interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. the trailer has enough like mystery about it that it's like okay i i really want to see this i think all of this was engineered it was engineered to get bad ratings because it's like you know with all this drama around it this film better be a masterpiece Mm -hmm. and if it's not a masterpiece i'm trashing it i think that's the mindset a lot of critics had going in like you know with, with all this nonsense with harry styles and olivia this film better be... I better walk out of this thinking this is second to The Godfather. Right. Yeah, th- this is definitely going in an uphill battle when it comes to the normal crowds, uh, just because of everything going around it. But at the same time, because of the drama, more people might actually know about this movie than otherwise would. No publicity is bad publicity. Right. So we'll see how it actually turns out and everything, both the movie and its numbers at the box office. I remember talking to a guy and it was uh, it was on Facebook and he's like, um, this movie's going to stink. 
I, I'll, I'll either I'll, no. He said first. He said I'll either love it or I'll hate it, and I think I'm gonna hate it. I said, why do you say that? He goes, oh, you know, just the, the drama around this stuff, like you know. And I'm like, well, just because there's drama around it doesn't mean it's not a bad movie. Got could be a bad movie, and you know, like that's what I mean. Like that's like the attitude people have. Like you said, the uphill battle. Yeah, it, it which. I don't understand how somebody can be like, oh, there's a lot of drama around this movie, so it's going to be bad. It's like, not necessarily. It depends on if the drama was on-set drama or if it was post-production drama. Like, where was the drama for this movie? Or is it because two of the actors had a feud on Twitter, you know, months after filming wrapped up? Mm. Like, where where's the drama coming from and why do you think it affected this movie? Look, man, biggest piece of evidence I have, there was drama between Tom Hardy and Charlie Theron on Fury Road. Is that movie not a perfect movie? Oh, that movie is absolutely phenomenal in every sense of the word. Okay, then. So, you know, I, I wouldn't just throw the film under the bus and say it's bad. Like, so here's another thing. Patty Jenkins. Um her Star Wars film isn't happening anymore. It, it looks like it looks like they 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 pulled it, and that it's kind of unclear whether it's going to be made or not. They pulled it from the schedule, mm-hmm. to be specific. Now you got a lot of people in the comments. Oh, thank thank the Lord. I mean, Wonder Woman eighty four was trash. I'm like, well, Monster and, and the first Wonder Woman were good. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that that movie sucked, but you know, I mean, and then you got people that go. Well, uh, you know, she didn't have that much control over Wonder Woman 1, so that might have been why that was a good movie. I'm like, come on, man, be fair. Like, maybe her storytelling skills wasn't good in the sequel, but she's still a good director. Yeah, she definitely had a lot of ideas for the second one. Um, They just weren't good ideas. Exactly. That happens, you know? Not every director is going to be batting, you know, a thousand every single go. You know, every once in a while they had to have a bad movie so you can appreciate the good ones they did. Look, even Martin Scorsese had a New York, New York. Do you know what that movie is? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, every director has a bad movie once in a while. Uh, I think Patty Jenkins is a very good director. It's just Wonder Woman 84 was just a bloated mess. That's all. Yeah, it just didn't have the direction it needed. But at the same time, it happens. I, I Honestly, I was excited for her Star Wars movie just based on the premise alone that they were going with it, with the entire, like, rebellion, or not the rebellion, the uh, squadron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like, like somebody said it would have been a Top Gun Star Wars edition. But I wouldn't mind seeing that. Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely love that. Yeah. Now, um, now, if the third Wonder Woman movie sucks, then <laughs> I don't know if I can defend her much longer. But, you know, I, 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 she'll learn from her mistakes. You know what? I'll judge her when she gets away from Wonder Woman. Like, if her movie after Wonder Woman is a bomb, then, okay, yeah, she there's something about her. But... <laughs> I mean, look, it's like uh, Colin Trevorrow, uh, his first film, I think it was his first, Safety Not Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I think that, I thought that was a great independent film. I love that film. Um, you know, I saw uh, the latest, he didn't make the latest Jurassic World, did he? But no, I, he did. Um, oh, he, he directed that? Yeah, he directed you know, the second and third. I don't think he directed the first Jurassic World. I think he did, though. I think he did direct the first one, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look it up real quick. Because he was involved in some way. I think he directed it. Hold on. Yeah, he directed the first Jurassic World. Did he? Okay. Uh, So with that being said, you know, I saw the last Jurassic World and I was like, okay. You know, and I heard that the the first one he made, people didn't like that. I was like, well, is he a one-time... now, I don't want to say show pony, but is he a one-time good movie guy? You know, I heard some people didn't like the book of Henry that he made. You know, like, 
you do question this about these directors that have these great starting off points, mm-hmm. but then after that, they kind of slowly make more and more bad movies. I mean, his problem with Jurassic World is the first one, it was always going to be heated on people loving it and people hating it, and there being no in between because it was a new Jurassic you know, Park trilogy starting. So you mm-hmm. had people that were like, I don't care what it is. I'm going to love it. I want to see more dinosaurs. I want to see more action scenes with that. You know, I, I absolutely love that series and I want to see more of it. And then you have mm-hmm. the people going, why are you creating a new thing? Why don't you, you know, create something new instead of going off an existing property and blah, blah, blah. So that one was always going to have that, you know, 50, 50 split more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the second where I'm trying to remember what the name of that one was uh, terrible Jurassic World 2 uh, <laughs> which basically the entire movie was we're going to set it up so we can have dinosaurs roaming the planet and everybody was like okay that movie was terrible but at least the third one's going to have dinosaurs roaming all over the planet and then he wrote yeah, the third happen. one where he was like, guess what? Bugs. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. When you told me that, um, I was like, oh, you know, this will be my first entry into this world. Plus Jeff Goldblum, uh, Sam Neill and Laura Dern are coming back. How, how could this not be? How could you fail? How can you fail a movie like this? Uh, uh, but yeah. he he there's how you fail. <laughs> A movie like that he, he gave you the, the script way, huh? yeah and some people said they like his star wars script that he had when he was initially both supposed to make a what would be called rise of skywalker later i read it know? there were some good ideas in it yeah. but at the same time i don't know if it would have been better than what we got with uh abrams but mm-hmm. it had some interesting ideas in it that i do like and i kind of hope that they'll go back and utilize those in future star wars movies definitely definitely um yeah so with that being said man like i'm just making a point that like patty jenkins i'm not uh i'm not throwing the towel in her in on her yet i'm i'm kind of like you uh even though i kind of will be more reserved towards defending her if the third wonder woman sucks i i still will keep an eye out and see what she'll do outside of that yeah, it's it comes out to what do they do after, you know, having that big block. But because there is a lot of pressure with having a giant movie like Wonder Woman. But there, there's a lot of pressure when you're taking on a franchise like that. When you when you hear everybody say, wait, what's Wonder Woman's home homeland? What's it called? Uh, crap, I, I I don't want to say Olympia. That sounds a little too on the nose. No, it's not Olympia. Okay. It's Themis. No. Well, we, we, all right. I'll say this. When everyone is telling you they love the prelude when it was a young Wonder Woman on her uh, homeland doing that race, and they say that was the only part of the movie they remember and that they actually liked, how about you, you make a whole movie set on that land with that type of action and thrills? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it, definitely when you have this perfect world that you've created and you're just using it as the jumping off point before going into the boring norm of a city suburb. Yeah, like come on, I get I, I like the 80s fashion. I like the production design, but it was like that's kind of all it had for it. Like I it did it, it, it didn't grab me. But I, I was right on my thinking, even though I like bounce back off of it. it. Is Themyscira? Oh yeah, I already looked it up. Themyscira. Okay. Yeah. How about we just have a whole Wonder Woman movie set on Themyscira? I it, feel like that that was sore. I, I want to say that that was one of those spinoffs that they were gonna do. Is they were gonna have a prelude to Wonder Woman, like just taking place in Themyscira and kind of showing how uh, they kind of grew up into this world that they have. And that was on like the docket when they had like the deep movie for Aquaman, where it was going to take place in the trenches and everything like the dark uh, water 
mm-hmm. back when DC was, uh, you know, trying to come up with like new ideas and everything for movies. And they were like, eh, let's just throw everything at the wall. And then they're now just going, I don't know, just put everything on the flash movie. What can go wrong? <laughs> just, you know, put all the chips on the flash movie. We don't, we don't need any other movies. It's going to be the biggest hit of the century. What could possibly happen to, you know, screw that up. Hey, you see, you see, we don't hear anything about him anymore. I'm mean, uh, about them anymore. But that, that's because they are in rehab. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, Which okay, I'm pretty just... sure rehab is just code for that. They're locked away in a room inside a room inside another room that, you know, WB holds the keys to and the discovery holds the second keys. Right, right, right. Just lay down. Lay down. Don't say anything. Here's a Just, cot and a box of golden, you know. Here's some oatmeal. Sit over there. Just just eat that stuff. Right, yeah. Um, I heard that Denzel is joining the MCU. Is he? Yeah, they said there was some, I don't know how true it is, but there were some actors that were going to join future MCU films. And I saw his name and I said, huh. It's interesting. See, I'm curious if he's joining as a mainstay character because I know that they have uh, some people like signed on to come into like a single movie and stuff. Like they have Henry Cavill's been signed on to be in a movie. Mark Hamill's signed on to be in a movie, but they're not signed on to be like mainstays of the MCU. Like, it's one movie kind of thing. I think it's that type of thing. Like, he might be playing a supporting role, um, which I can't even picture that. Denzel's never been a supporting character. Right. That'll be interesting. Unless he plays, like, the villain. Maybe. Maybe. He he could pull that off. I, I'd say so. I'd say so, definitely. Um. All right, man. Well, that's it for me. Oh, uh, have you caught up on Primal? I haven't caught up on anything, bro. Oh, you need to. Uh, I finally sat down and watched the finale for it. And my God, if they don't do a season three, I'm going to be disappointed. But season two ends on such a note that I wouldn't even be upset. Like, I... It's the perfect end point for the series, even though I want more. See, that's that's see, that's a great thing for a showrunner to do, bro. When um, when they're just like, you know what? Just in case we don't come back, mm-hmm. let's let's leave these characters in a good place. We can pick them up when we come back, but let's leave them in a good place where it's like, hey, man, if we don't come back, we gave them this. Right. If we don't get that season three renewal. At the very least, we're giving, you know, a great send off for these characters. And I know right now it's pretty controversial in uh, like the Adult Swim communities going, what the hell was that? You know, I want more. Give me more. Blah, blah, blah. Now, was it art? Was it an artistic choice made that the audience was just like, oh, yeah, we, we wanted uh more That's not how I wanted it to happen. Yes, he's exactly right. that. Okay. So it was like a okay. I, I got yeah, you. it's I got it you. wasn't uh Tartoski was like put in a room and told, you know, you gotta do this. It was one hundred percent him going, This is how I wanna do this. Hey, I, I guess I might have myself a marathon. You know, your boy is off for his uh twenty ninth. I'm uh I'm one year away from that big three oh. <laughs> so uh I might, I might, I might have myself a little bingeathon. Uh, um, I, I highly recommend it, especially season two as a whole is absolutely fantastic. Mm. Okay, yeah, dude, Genedy has always impressed me, dude. I haven't seen many of the uh, Hotel Transylvania films, but uh, he's always impressed me with um, Samurai Jack, you know, Dexter's Laboratory, the, uh, the some of the Clone Wars stuff, the original Clone Wars that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I he he's absolutely fantastic at his craft. I know he has another show coming up, Unicorn or something like that. That sounds like uh, a kid's show. I, I'm trying to remember what it's called. 
Um, it's called Unicorn. It's a kid's show. Should be at least Unicorn Warriors Eternal. Is that what it's called? That's what it's called. Yeah. All right. I I think if I see the word warriors, then all right, maybe maybe it's not for kids. But I mean, it, he does do some stuff for kid like Dexter's Lab. Dexter, uh, yeah. Samurai Jack is that like teenager kind of level. Uh, Primal's definitely on the more adult level. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I wouldn't show that to my to any kid. Yeah. Um, no. But yeah, it's looking like it's a. Uh, it's looking like it, it. It might be a good middle ground. It's about ancient heroes protecting the world from an omnibus force. Eh, all right. I'll, I'll give it a check. I'll give it a check. Uh, you can't go wrong with them. Right. But um, I'm gonna check it out, man. I'm gonna check it out. He. I, I know he said here that uh this was the last uh the last uh season for those two main characters. So and he said he is thinking about a season three, but it might deal with new characters. Yeah. Yeah, he right. might decide to do like an anthology kind of thing where, you know, the next season would take place, you know, somewhere else in this same world. I'm excited, man. I'll I'll get into it. Oh, yeah. I highly recommend it. All right. All right, y'all. We'll catch you on the next one. Uh, It's been another episode of DFV. Take care.